Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm in studio here with my partner, Adam Hanson, and we are joined with Anna Karen and a special guest, Thomas Sparks. Good morning, Good ladies morning. and gentlemen. Good morning. So I want to talk a little bit today about what, what goes on in our everyday thinking and, and our worries and concerns and our problems and our issues and whether or not they're man-made, they're self-inflicted, or they're imposed upon us by these external influences that we have no control over. So let's dive right into it. Um, what do you think, I just want to ask the panel here a little bit, what do you think is uh, afflicting our children today in the United States? Let's, let's uh, narrow the field down a little bit. Our children in the United States today, what, what kind of issues afflict them primarily? Tom, what do you think? Yeah, so I think when I, I think about some of my own kids and the worries that I have as a parent. Um, How many kids do you have? I have five, one on the way. Okay. So. You're doing your part to repopulate. I'm doing, doing my part. To, to continue and, the population. Uh, yeah, lots of opportunity for, uh, for trials in my kid's life, I think, um, in this day and age. And I think every day and age has had their trials. But what I see a common trend of today is a, a, th- a culture of helplessness is really what I see. And I don't want my children to grow up and think that their their destiny or the reality that they want to paint for themselves is ultimately in somebody else's hands, that they can do nothing to affect their their status in life or their state in life, and everything else is up to chance or somebody else who allows them to do something. I want them to feel in control, independent, and I think it's very damaging to young children when you tell them from a young age that you can only go this far for this reason, and everything else is because you're a victim of somebody else's wrongdoing. Yeah, some type of victim mentality. Sure. Um, Indoctrinating them with that really disarms them from the most potent thing and, and, and tool that they have, and that is their own intuition, ambition, and um, ability to create and, and, and define their own destiny. In fact, I would say that is probably one of the most um, fundamental underpinnings of us in the United States, that we get to define our own destiny that we don't have a king or an oligarch that keeps us down into some lower social status, that we can be as successful as we set our minds to be. And I think that's as true today, if not more true, than ever before. Because even a hundred years ago, children didn't have equal access to information. And information is power. Learning is power. And so wealthy families' children went to higher uh, institutions of higher learning. And now we have all the information that you could possibly dream of and more in the palm of your hand. It's just whether or not we're using it correctly or we're focusing on what's actually going to be helpful and productive. But you could get the equivalent of a Harvard education at home, sitting in your living room. And that's a, it's, it's an amazing thing. It, I, think, I like that you, you brought up that um, 
there's this uh, feeling of helplessness or inability to control what's going on in their lives. And the irony there is 100 years ago, 200 years ago, the climate and um, I would say nature in general had a, a much bigger influence on us individually and whether or not we could even survive. The biggest problem facing children 200 years ago was surviving childbirth or even surviving childhood mm -hmm. because nature in itself, untamed, is very, very damaging to human life. And we seem to have an upside down perception of that today, that if we let nature alone and uh, allow it to just run its course, then the earth would be healthier and if we just stayed out of our, its way, then we would all be healthier. But I'll tell you, living in the desert, as it's starting to now break 100 degrees on a, on a daily basis, I don't want to be subject to nature and its raw force. I want to have some control over nature. And air conditioning, climate control inside my house is a wonderful thing. And the more control we have, it seems like the more we indoctrinate each other and our children especially, that they don't have control, which is ironic. I think the mentality is one where we're all subject to external forces. And it's the mentality of, well, how do I react to those external forces? Some are out of my control. Some are caused by what I do. It might be negative. It might be positive. But I think our, when I think of my own kids, like Tom was talking about it, the big thing that I see is anxiety. And I think it's because they have this mentality of, I can't do anything to solve the issue or this external force that's being thrust upon me. And therefore, it makes me really anxious. I feel out of control because I can't control things. And I think there's two mentalities that you can have. There's one that you are going to be acted upon and you let whatever happens to you happen to you and you're going to you know, blame that thing, that external force for whatever's happening to you. It's not your fault. Uh, and then there's the mentality that I'm going to be the one that acts. Regardless of what ha happens to me, I can, I can choose to do this, that, or the other to either solve the problem or at least make it more manageable um, in the sense of not having anxiety, um, understanding that bad things are going to happen to me or external forces are going to be put on me. How do I react to that? Do I act in such a way that I'm just going to lay down and let that happen and I can't do anything about it? That's one of the biggest um, frustrations that I have sometimes with my kids is that if something happens to them, I, I fear seeing them just give up. And I want them to be fighters. I want them to be able to say or to react in such a way that they can overcome that particular item that happens in their, in their lives. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I see them or I hear them speak about things from, that's happened at school. And, and um, sometimes I'm proud of them. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish you would have stuck up for this, that, or the other. Or I wish you would not think that you don't have the ability to speak up or have control in that situation because you do. You always have the opportunity to act or to choose. And uh, I think the, the youth growing up today are more so taught in school that you've got this outside force, can't do anything about it, and therefore it's going to dictate to you how your life progresses. And I think that's a false narrative. I would agree. I think one thing I wanted to piggyback off of that is I think as far as maybe offering a fix or a solution to some of the problems that our youth faces. I really think that a lot of youth today are out of practice. And by out of practice, I mean they have no practice dealing with uh, 
uh, adversity and outside forces trying to bend them in a certain way and practicing resisting. So when in, in my you know short career as a Marine so far, I'm, I've had to go through some amounts of rigorous training, even as an attorney, <clears throat> you know, still doing some infantry stuff that um, they they have a crawl, walk, run approach in the Marine Corps. So first, if you're shooting ranges and you've never picked up a weapon before, you 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 crawl first. You learn how to handle that weapon with the weapon safety rules. And then you go into blanks and then you can move up into live fire ranges. And then pretty soon you're doing, you know, movements with real, with human life, shooting real rounds in a, um, as close to a real life scenario as you can conjure up it in training. And that doesn't start from the beginning. If we did that at the beginning, someone would get shot and someone would die. And the way that that's done is on purpose to inoculate people uh, from their own fears of handling weapons if they never have, and uh, to give themselves confidence in order to undertake something that from the start looked insurmountable. And if children are not given the ability to, to exercise that agency to act and to maybe mess up from time to time and to start slow when they get to their young adulthood which I think we see today we've got a bunch of young adults who never got the opportunity to practice and now they're not crawling they're thrust into the real world where they're expected to run right now and they're not inoculated yeah so how long does that process take from someone who's never shot a weapon before signs up for the military to the point where they're firing live rounds so all of that occurred, in my experience, about five months. That, that's a point that I wanted to bring up. In the military, it seems like real life is still something that we embrace. In our world around us today, it, it feels like reality is something that we push to the side, and we create this false reality in an attempt to coddle our children or, or guard our children from you know, outside forces that might harm them either physically or mentally. And um, in reality, we're, we're setting up little winklings to send out into the world and, and ultimately fail, whereas the military failure is not an option. And uh, you go from uh, not being able to handle this lethal weapon to using it effectively and efficiently in a very rapid succession. And we need to be more like that in everyday world because the military is a, a very good example of the everyday world. The world is a big, bad, dangerous place if you don't go out and face it head on. And I think that is the, the, the biggest problem that we are doing as a society is coddling our children. In fact, there's this um, book that um, I've been reading I'm trying to get in all the concepts down. It generally takes me four or five reads of a book to get it down. And it's The Coddling of the American Mind. And it talks about how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. In fact, that's his tagline. It's, it's by Greg Lukianoff and uh, Jonathan Haidt. And they talk about how institutions, even the, the highest level of um, higher learning, these Ivy League schools are making it so even small microaggressions, when people feel offended by something that wasn't even in, intentionally offensive, said by somebody else or done by somebody else, there's a, there's a hotline, there's a 1-800 number where they can call the university and they can be basically reinforced in, in their feeling of 
being offended and and uh, being hurt and and that that feeling now doesn't go away it, it's now being propped up and and underpinned with false notions of everybody's out to get you and, and you're some fragile egg out there that's got to be protected instead of you know what pick yourself up dust yourself off and and keep going what happened to sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me um, or names will never hurt me uh, that was what I grew up with and uh, I I don't agree with people saying very hurtful things on purpose but you know what we live in a world where we have to cohabitate with people we don't agree with and Oftentimes, disagreements make us stronger and can even expand our mind and our perception of as to what reality is and how we address it. So this attempt to eliminate uh, disagreement and uh, conversations and words that, that we don't like is not helpful, not in the least. Not only is it making us weaker, but it's, I think, curbing our ability to actually expand our mind and our thought process. From a legal standpoint, Tom, Sean, when we were in law school, we learned about the doctrine behind just like you said, uh, you you can call me names all you want, but that's not going to be a cause of legal action unless you're inciting some sort of uh, pandemonium among a crowd, right? Yeah, you can't run into a theater and shout fire. That's not just a word. That's now something that causes harm. But it's legitimate harm. People are getting it trampled trying to get out of the theater. But other than that, I mean, the Supreme Court has continually held that I can call you anything I want without any repercussion because that is the the value of free speech in our nation. And it doesn't cause you harm. You shouldn't be harmed by the words that I say. Um, but like we said, there are some finite exemptions to that. You can't yell fire in a theater. You can't yell certain things in a public in public if it's going to incite some sort of a riot um but other than that we can let it rip you know um I, as you were talking my one of my thoughts were was that uh these universities now in the united states it seems like they're they're just a hotbed for coddling or inoculating or or protecting the kids mind that's at that school and protecting them from any type of potential words or harm that might come at them. And in reality, they need to experience that. They need to experience or confront an alternate point of view and be able to do that debate without getting so upset that you have to riot or you have to call names and things like that. That's what the university, in my opinion, is for, is to have differing opinions but come to a conclusion civilly and and what – we can do about those differing opinions and how can we come to equal ground. And I think that's what our society has lost um, in these last few years is, is the ability to come to a middle ground or see it from the other person's vantage point and see what do we have in common and what can we actually agree on. And that just is lost right now. It feels like you dehumanize the other side that, that you don't agree with to the extent that uh, you, you, you dox them or you're going to completely just you know, obliterate that person or that, that idea. And that's, that's not productive. I mean, yeah, yeah. You feel you, you got these sentiments of animosity, 
against a whole group of people because of ideas that are really propped up in the media as far as the, the difference between our concepts of what's right and wrong and their concepts. And there's this big us and them type of mentality as opposed to we're all Americans and we have opposing views and most of our views are consistent and similar. But there are, there are certain views that are not. But the similarities are not focused upon at all because it's, it's, it doesn't sell, right? And it's not salacious and it's not, it's, it, it's not condemning and fearful. And those are the things that people like to see and, and really grab up in the, in the news. But what, if, if you were to think about it, if you were to go to your neighbor and your neighbor is liberal and you're conservative and he needs help mowing his lawn, you're going to help him? I would, yes. Right. And, 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 and if he saw you struggling with taking your trash out to the curb, is he going to help you? I hope so. Guy's a liberal, though. <laughs> He's the enemy. He's probably going to help you, right? And that's the thing that's lost, is most of us, if we see each other in passing, and as neighbors, we would help each other. And then on these local issues and these community issues, we would see eye to eye 90 plus percent of the time. But on national issues where it says, okay, does a woman have a right to choose abortion late term or even after birth? And should the government be involved in that decision? That's where we say, whoa, we have opposing views on that. And those are the, those are the only issues that are focused on in the media as opposed to how similar we are and how much we're willing to assist one another in progress and making our society a happier, more livable place to be. We got to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I have attorney Thomas Sparks sitting across the table from me and attorney Adam Hansen sitting um, at my right side. And we have Anna Karen that is running the boards this morning. So what we're talking about is why we have so much mental distress, both with adults and more particularly with children. Why are so many children now diagnosed with anxiety and depression and ADHD. When I was growing up, it was rare, but I knew a kid or two that had ADD. I hadn't even heard of ADHD when I was a kid. Now, you don't even hear of ADD. It's like every kid that can't sit down in class and sit still for eight hours a day has ADHD just because he doesn't want to sit and listen to somebody lecture or practice math problems. I think that's very natural. I didn't want to do that as a kid. I wanted to be out running around, figuring out how things work, pounding nails, chopping trees, doing those types of things. And I think it's natural for our kids to want to do that too. And when we see them squirming in their chairs, it's like, oh, shoot, they've got an attention deficit disorder. In fact, it's probably attention hyperactive deficit disorder. And we either want to counsel them or we want to uh, medicate them. 
And at the same time, we're telling them, now, if you leave the tap running when you're brushing your teeth, you're going to destroy the earth, and you're not going to have any water anymore. And uh, if, 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 you're, if your mom drives an SUV, she's destroying the climate, and uh, the earth is going to be so hot that you're not going to have anywhere to live when you grow up. And we wonder why they've got these anxiety and, and depression disorders. Well, yeah, they're also a product of their time. So most of these kids now that have been living through like these last couple of years have seen nothing but disasters in the last few years. We had COVID. We had a lot of um, uh, we had a lot of people lose their homes. Their all their basically what is needed to be human, basically. Um, but yeah, like yeah. I that 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 is true. There there have been a lot of hardships over the past couple of years, but um, I think we've seen more government involvement and the government inserting itself into our life and determining when we can go to work and what work is essential and uh, what companies are going to be more profitable and what companies should actually be demonized or canceled. What speech should be propped up and what speech should be canceled mm-hmm. over the past three years than ever before, at least in the recent history, the history that I'm aware of and that I read about in in American history. And I can't help but think that a lot of the bigger issues that we've been facing are a product of how we've reacted to our circumstances as opposed to the outside forces themselves. Yeah, Yeah. I think I would agree with that. When I think about kids who are struggling with depression, anxiety, I don't doubt that they feel those things. I don't doubt that they're feeling you know badly about themselves, about their circumstances. What I'm interested in is not necessarily telling them that you know you're you're imagining it, but I want to give them real solutions to actually improve their lot in life. And I don't think it's going to be uh, here's this here's this medicine like this will you know borderline sedate you. Yeah, this will. This will get you to tomorrow. This will numb you, and yes. your feelings will go away, yeah, and exactly. uh, then you don't have to feel that sense of depression or anxiety. Right. I think that the long-term issue and the long-term solution, rather, that we hinted at in this first segment was giving them opportunity to work, overcome, problem-solve, and when they see those successes, those will aggregate into a feeling of confidence, and then they'll be able to self-manage at that point. Like having a crutch and relying on certain medications when you don't really need them, what you really need to do is work it out. Yeah. That can be damning for an individual. And a lot of times that working it out is physically getting outside and running around Mm -hmm. and playing. And when you fall and scrape your knee, you get up and you deal with it. And it's not the end of the world. And you continue to run. You don't stop running. You don't stop throwing snowballs because someone gets pegged in the face with an ice ball, right? You keep throwing snowballs and you dodge those ice balls or you, you know, figure a way out around that danger. I think fear is a good thing. It keeps us alive. But we got to remember that we got to keep it in check and that that fear can drive us to actually be more productive and not just sit there and allow that fear to fester. I think that's what anxiety, and I don't, of course I'm no psychologist, but I think that's where the hotbed of anxiety is, is letting that fear just sit there in our stomach and, and, and be lectured to in class or continue to work um, on just 
mental problems in class without getting out and having free time, either to play baseball on the streets or, you know, a pickup game of soccer or explore around your neighborhood or if you're in a more rural area in the woods and in the farmland and, and play on the old equipment. I used to love, more than anything, going to a junkyard and getting into the old cars and practice and pretend like I was driving, you know, when I was eight, nine years old. And um, this was exploratory time. I, I lived in a time where um, my dad was a logger, and uh, there were some mills that were shut down, and so we explored these old mills. The floors were breaking through, and there were these huge saws that were exposed. What did we do? We learned to walk on the beams. Was that dangerous? Absolutely. Did we fall through a couple times? Yep, we did. And we took these saws. And I was allowed to use my father's tools. Well, maybe not as much as I thought I was, but I used my father's tools. And we made tools out of them. We made axes and hatchets. We chopped wood. By the time I was in seventh grade, we were responsible for cutting about 14 cord of wood each summer in order to produce the heat for for, um, our home for the wintertime. And that required us to have a lot of vigorous exercise and work and a work ethic. But we also got to expand and, and, and explore and do a lot of things that wouldn't normally be um, allowed in a classroom setting. You see, I come from the generation that's just in the middle of that. So I am from like the generation where you were outside, you came back when the lights uh, when the lights outside were were on. You're that's your cue to go back inside. But I also got into the part where parents started fearing when they started fearing everything, and you were not allowed to go outside. You're like, you know what? You're safer just here. Like here, here's a console, here's a tablet, here's just stay there somewhere away from sight. So I think it's mo- uh, it, it, it turns with that fear that continues with parents because it's like, oh my God, if I let my kid go out at this time or like if I let him, like he's going to get electrocuted, he's going to fall. He's gonna, and, it's, and it's that continuous fear and we keep feeding that fear to each other like through social media, through TikTok, to like, oh, my kid, oh, it's like, oh, don't let my, your kids t- play with this toy. My God, mine choked on it. They're kids. They're going to do kid things. But like we seem, as a society, we seem to forget that kids are kids. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a, a visual that I've always um, heard of, of the snowplow generation where you have parents who act as the snowplow who plow off all of the deep snow in the road so people can their children behind them can have an easy path and an easy walk through through the um you know the pathway and that has some significant ramifications while it is easier it also like we've been talking about removes the struggle and with no struggle there is no growth you know that's that's a universal principle in nature, in um, in human existence. Like growth comes through struggle, and if one one can't exist without the other, so I think that's a big part of what our children are facing. So a lot of the reason there's been a lot of research about this that children have um, anxiety about the climate, global warming. It's now not called global warming; it's called climate change. And because the earth isn't always warming in, the, in a warming phase. And so in order to be 
apparently more accurate or at least to not be debunked as consistently, um, the narrative has changed. And so it's not global warming, it's climate change. So every time there's a, there's a big fire or there's a storm or a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, then we can attribute it to climate change. All of those have to do with climate, and you can just attribute that to climate change and therefore reinforce the narrative. And, and, and what I'm getting at is I think the narrative is overblown and ever-changing, and the science doesn't support it. And so they keep changing the rules for the narrative to fit what's actually happening and saying, oh, see, we told you so. This is evidence of what we said before, when in actuality, all the charts, all of the predictions have not come true. Um, According to Al Gore, if we would have continued burning fossil fuel at the rate that we did when he put out his movie in, I don't know, 2001, 2002, the inconvenient truth, then we would all be dead by now. And not only are we not all dead, we're actually thriving. Um, The the level of poverty has decreased by 10% in the world. There's actually been a 15% greening in the climate when when you look at it from satellite images from space. And so all of those graphs and all those predictions are wrong. And uh, what what I want to make a major point about is we, just like Anna Karen, you, you said that we've encountered a lot of hardships over the past three years. And my rebuttal to that was, that is true, but I believe a majority of that was brought on by our reaction, and more so, I blame the people that are in control of the policies or the people that took advantage of the crisis to, uh, to ascend to power and to implement these policies that were unnecessary, and those caused more grief, more pain, more starvation, more dying with you know, outside of the presence of a loved one than ever would have occurred if we would have allowed people to exercise freedom of choice and and try to make it through that uh, crisis themselves, just independently using their choice and, and free agency to do it. Um, I don't know what the right solution was. I don't know if we should have locked down. I, I disagree. Uh, personally, I don't think we should have, but I don't know if that was the right solution. I think that freedom trumps that. I think that independently we have um, the responsibility to make decisions about our health ourselves. And if we choose to be unhealthy, if we choose to smoke, then that's our choice. And if we get cancer, then that's the consequence of our choice. And if we choose to exercise, again, that's our choice. And, and hopefully we'll live longer and healthier lives because of that. And perhaps we'll get cancer at age 30, despite that. But nonetheless, the freedom to do it is the, the whole purpose of being here in life. It's not for somebody else to take us by the hand and guide us to the safest path to a long, healthy carefully orchestrated life. And um, I think that we need to back off, get back to freedom, and, and pull the government away from getting involved in controlling every decision that's made. Now, going back to why our children are so concerned, they are told that when they use water, they are wasting a resource. And they're essentially being treated as if humans are 
this disease that the earth has to put up with. And they need to minimize the impact that they are making on the earth because they are the problems. And in reality, the earth is made for humans to thrive upon and to have dominion over, to exercise good stewardship and to take good care of it, but not to leave it alone, um, but to work with it and to innovate and to create. I think that we are living here where we are now because of the innovation and creation that we've come up with. We could never survive in the desert, or at least comfortably, um, and especially in the, at the numbers that we do. But we have clean streets. We have sanitary um, wastewater treatment plants. We have water in abundance. And we have flourishing farm fields all around us because of the intervention that humans have made with the environment. We would have none of that if humans didn't intervene with the natural environment around us. So I think we need to emphasize that to our children, that putting up these dams that create Lake Mead and Lake Powell and Lake Havasu and Lake Mojave has actually created the environment and, and, a, and an ecosystem for not only animals to thrive, but for humans to thrive in harmony with animals and have made a better place for us to live. And they should feel good about that and get out and enjoy it as opposed to sit in a classroom and be um, criticized about our influence on the earth. We've got to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about the issues that we as a society deal with on a daily basis, and, and more importantly, our children, issues like depression and anxiety. And we haven't talked a lot about these other issues, but obesity and diabetes, um, the lack of a work ethic. And so let's dive into those a little bit. What, what is causing these issues? Well, I would say that constantly telling our children that... Uh, the earth is warming or the climate is changing. And unless we give up all the things that have made life um, a little bit easier for us, more enjoyable, certainly safer and um, prolonged longevity of life, unless we give those things up, in essence, give up fossil fuels, that uh, we're going to perpetuate this downward tailspin and uh, they're not going to have any earth left that is sustainable for life in 10, 20, 30 years when they grow up. And I think, number one, that that's really harmful for them to teach and for their mental health. And number two, I think it's just wrong. What if, you know, just for the, just for the purpose of debate here, what if um, the collection of fossil fuels and even the burning of fossil fuels was not only a good thing, not only helped us live longer, healthier, more productive lives, but actually was something that helped the environment around us. What if the CO2 that was produced by the burning of fossil fuels was actually good for the planet? What if a little bit more warming was actually good for the planet? I know this sounds... Uh, 
you know, borderline blasphemous for me to even say out loud. Like, how could you possibly say that CO2, that is the cancer of our atmosphere? But is it? Because I know plants like CO2, and I like healthy plants. And so if plants are healthy and producing oxygen, which I quite enjoy breathing, and they like CO2, maybe we could work together to provide each other what the other needs. And pulling this dark, sludgy, slimy substance out of the earth and producing it in a very highly efficient way that creates energy that allows us to produce um, food at the level that it's a thousand times more efficient than we could 200 years ago. And at the same time, the byproduct of that is CO2 in the atmosphere that allows for more uh, more uh, food for the plants because that's, that's the plant's food right there is the CO2. That's what they breathe in. And um, it actually produces a little, say it does produce a little bit more warming. I know that over the past hundred years, uh, the earth has warmed uh, between three and, and four degrees, okay? Um, I know that crops die regularly from freezing. When there is a late frost in the spring or early frost in the fall, that kills crops. When there's an extra harsh winter, that kills crop production. Um, drought certainly does kill crops too, although we've been able to counteract the effects of drought by storing water in what we call reservoirs. And the things that we use to store the water are dams, and when the water flows through these dams, it, cl- it creates electricity. And if you're talking about clean electricity, clean renewable power, that truly is it. The dams that produce this electricity, they're clean. The electricity provides us with uh, the power that we need to um, light our homes, to cook our dinners, to power our AC units so we can live in the desert. And all of this is allowing the crops to grow more abundantly. In fact, there's been a 15% over the past 30 years, there's been a 15% higher crop yield than there has been in the past. Why is that? Well, because it's a little bit warmer and there's a little bit more CO2 in the air. And I know that the, the narrative has been that is bad, 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 because we as humans are doing it. And if we're doing it as humans, it must be unnatural because we as humans are not part of this natural cycle of Earth. And I would contend that we are. I would contend that we participate in nature that humans actually assist with nature, and nature in and of itself unchecked is the deadliest thing of all. Oh, heck yeah. You know, go out, you've all seen those programs, um, Alone or... Alone and Afraid. Yeah, Out in the Wild and and Survivor, and and then they come up with these new versions, you know, Naked and and Alone. Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid, yeah, (laughs) like that. And, And it's all these things like, how long can you survive without all the luxuries that are produced by gathering these fossil fuels or harnessing nature's power and and allowing for us to um, thrive, have longer lives. And we can also look at uh, the environment around us and the wildlife and we can see the numbers we can count more efficiently the numbers because of the technology and we can see that the polar bear population has actually increased 
over the past 30 years. Time came back. Time initially published a cover on their magazine with this old, decrepit, starving polar bear, and it said, this is what global warming looks like. That was the headline. Mm. Well, it came back later on with a little apology buried far into its article that said uh, that polar bear was actually very old and was dying uh, naturally because it's old age and it had nothing to do well I don't know if it it, it actually went that far to say it. it had nothing to do with global warming but that polar bear's demise didn't have anything with, to do with global warming it was just dying of old age but they were using it to produce some uh, a propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's the exact word for it, propaganda, mm-hmm. to prop up their narrative. And propaganda is not a good thing. No, I think it, it's the enemy of you know, free thought. And when we think about climate change in general, I've had a, a good opportunity in my undergraduate to study some of it with um, a geosciences background, and we learned about the geologic time scale. So what is your understudy graduate degree in? It's in geology. So geology, study of the Earth, and some of the intro classes you take talk about the geologic time scale, the history of the creation of the Earth and the different periods it's been in. And part of that is the climate. That's something that can be tracked in, in the rocks and whatnot. Do you remember off the top of your head, I'm going to put you on the spot here, <laughs> when was the Earth most productive in vegetation? At what levels were the CO2 in the atmosphere? Yes, I don't know like the CO2 parts per million, but I can tell you that the Cretaceous time period, which is a lot of you know the famous... Um, Dinosaur movies is like that's what you can think of. T Rex is walking around mm, where everything's tropical and yeah. just gigantic trees and plants and all these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's the Cretaceous time period. It's like sixty um, million years ago, according to the current geologic time scale that we use. Mm-hmm. And there, like, I had a professor once to to paint the image. He would say, in the Cretaceous, a squirrel could have went from California to you know New York and jumped from tree branch to tree branch and never touched the ground because that's how tropical the United States was at that time. And, and I'll tell you from my study of CO2 levels mm-hmm. that the, the level of CO2 at that time was between 1,200 and 1,500 parts per million. Mm-hmm. And what it is right now is right about uh, high 300s, low 400s, and... Uh, that's a lot less. And so it used to be um, going from the 19th century into the 20th century, about 200 parts per million. Now you get to 150 parts per million, and I know this is starting to sound very scientific, but that's when plant life dies. Mm. So if you want to kill off the earth, then reduce the CO2 levels to the point that they can't breathe, and you'll do a very good job of killing off the earth. Um, CO2 helps plant life, and during that period of time, it was between 1,200 and 1,500. If we burned all the fossil fuels that we have access to right now, we could not put that much CO2 into the atmosphere. Now, I'm not proposing that we do, but what I am proposing is that perhaps when you're driving to work, instead of feeling guilty you can feel okay about it. Mm-hmm. That the energy that you're using to become more productive at work and provide a, a living for your children to grow up in, you don't have to guilt trip them that we're killing the earth. In fact, we may be doing it a favor. Yeah, and similarly in that same time period we were talking about, I think 
the average climate about 10 degrees warmer on average on a global scale than we are now. And so that's the other component. At first, we talk yeah. about CO2, mm-hmm. and it's terrible because it warms the earth. Mm-hmm. All, and, and, and they always go back to 99% or 97% of, of climatologists agree that CO2 is a global warming gas, and we are contributing to that. I would agree. We are putting more CO2 in the atmosphere, and CO2 is a warming agent, okay? It is a um, uh, greenhouse gas. However... I would contend with, number one, that we're putting so much CO2 in the atmosphere that it's it's creating a significant difference in our warming. And number two, that warming in and of itself is bad or more CO2 in and of itself is bad. So the conclusion of what they're saying that we are as humans contributing to global warming is a bad thing, that's the false narrative. I think we as humans are contributing to the CO2 makeup in the atmosphere, and that is somewhat warming the earth. But I don't think either of those or those collectively are bad things. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. We'll talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.